So maybe you're a crazy person like me who has over 400 Marines and you want to name them all. Or maybe you love creating new characters for D&D. Or maybe you just really like learning the meaning and origins behind some of your favorite nerdy character names from pop culture. Well then, it sounds like you need Naming Your Little Geek by Scott Root. This is an incredibly fun and easy read. It taught me not only is Ulrich the name of a war god, but also a Sith master. It also comes with one more added benefit. It's a great resource for naming your babies. Follow the link in the description below and pick up your copy of Naming Your Little Geek today. Hello and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, man? It is going... I don't know, okay. I, I, I feel like I don't have anything particularly interesting for today, so how's it going for you? I discovered a love of old-fashioned... At the same time, I discovered my state has a 20% tax on liquor. Oh, unfortunate. Yeah, and it's not reflected in the price till checkout. Hmm. Well, while we move right on past that into some more positive <laughs> thing and get into our patrons sound off. The people that pay for my crippling alcoholism. They are wonderful, wonderful patients. They are Pam Galley, Marquis, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krug, Arthur Crane, Kevin Faith, Brendan Agnew, John Vinnels, Kit, Kenny, Seth Decker, that bastard-faced bastard Donald Lucy, Patrick Anderson, Carson Earl, Scott Ribbon, Derek Ducati, and Peter Cook. Now, if you'd like to join that illustrious legion, head on over to patreon.com forward slash geekswithshields. 25 cents an episode gets you early access to all our content and a suite of other nice benefits. I feel the need to quickly explain. So, for anyone who doesn't know what the deal is, uh, Donal joined Ulrich and I about a month back or so for a day-long game of Total War Warhammer 3. And in Total Warhammer 3, there's a thing you can do where if one of the players gets involved in a battle, another player can choose to take control of the enemy so that you're not playing against the AI, you're playing against a person. I feel like this is a, a tricky supposition or a tricky thing to do. And in one such instance, when Ulrich got into a battle, Donal take, took control of the enemy and proceeded to use some some cavalry to destroy Ulrich's army's one and only Hell Cannon, a piece of artillery. A very valuable Hell Cannon. Since then, Ulrich has not let that go. And <laughs> Never. Anyway, now that you're all on the same page. And I believe we have a guest today. I don't know why I say I believe. I know we have a guest today. So feel free to introduce yourself. Oh my god, I forgot my own name for a second there. <laughs> <laughs> it's me, Slagathor. Hello. Remember when a... you were our producer? <laughs> yeah. You sat in on these things and got the guests organized? Yep. But that didn't involve knowing her own name, so. <laughs> exactly. I was just the producer. All right, Ulrich, so what are we talking about with the lovely Slagathor today? Well, this is an episode we have long had in mind, but we haven't been able to convince her to come on. <laughs> but we are doing a Pillars of Geekdom with Slagathor. Yep, 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 yep. All right, so, and now, because I, I always do this, whenever because this is, for anyone who doesn't know, this is a recurring thing we do, Pillars of Geekdom, and it's a quick, light explanation for any who might have missed previous ones. The idea of Pillars of Geekdoms comes from an idea that I came up with with Ulrich a long time ago, like in high school, where f your fandom as a person can be represented as a structure of some sort. And that metaphor came because I, I was mentioning, I don't know what exactly we're talking about, but I saw, talked about foundational fandom, as in things you got into when you were very young that all the things you're into now are in some way related to, thus they laid the foundation for your tastes, as it were. Like, I don't know, if you were really into Star Trek when you were a kid, and then you can point to all the sci-fi you're into now that basically is because you were into Star Trek when you were a kid. Thus, Star Trek would be foundational. But then we started expanding that to this metaphor of fandom as structure. And pillars are the fandoms that can be foundational, but they don't have to be. But they're the they are the fandoms that you are part of, or maybe not that way, they are the things that you are a fan of currently around which the other things you're a fan of kind of circle 
Like, I know plenty of people who might say something like Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones are pillars because their enjoyment of fantasy currently is always in some way related or relates back to that thing that they're into. And so Pillars of Geekdom is an opportunity for us to bring on people to have them tell us about what one of their pillars is. Is that clear? <laughs> I had a split second of, well, crap, what does my pillar say about me? Maybe Axel should tell me what my pillar says about me. Because <laughs> you said, you, you described it so well, and I was just like, crap, what do I do? <laughs> well, I you were going to say you forgot what your pillar was. <laughs> I think we'll figure that out when we get to it. But as you're a guest... That means that you get to tell us about one of your pillars today. So let's start with, with a very simple thing. What pillar are we going to be talking about? Well, as far as I know, it's... Oh my god, I actually did forget. Nightmare on Elm Street. There we go. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> I can't believe... I am not... Okay. Alright, now as Nightmare on Elm Street is a franchise that is somewhat... Mm, not in the popular culture right now, as the last new part of it was in, what, 2012, I want to say, then give a light explanation to anyone listening as to what it is. Well, it's basically, I get, should I talk about the whole series or just the first just one? As much as you want. Whatever you think's relevant. We're assuming someone has crawled out of a cave, never experienced any pop culture for the last 30 years... And just happen to stumble onto our podcast and ask you, what is Nightmare on Elm Street? I've been living in a cave for the last 30 years and I've never interacted with pop culture in any form. Not even that extreme. There could easily be a 12-year-old listening to this who literally was two years old the last time a Nightmare on Elm Street movie If you are a 12-year-old, you should not be listening to this podcast. I disagree with him. Anyway, Slagathor, continue. <laughs> so, Nightmare on Elm Street is basically a very scary horror movie that is about this guy freddy that kills people in dreams and the original came out in 1985 86 something like that yeah i'm gonna say 87 i'm gonna google oh, I can't no, don't worry about it it's somewhere there we all know and it was directed by horror master wes craven yes and spawned lots and lots of sequels yes and i love every single one of them except for that weird tv one the weird you mean the final nightmare yes that is the shittiest movie and it does not belong in the goddamn series oh not gonna touch that one <laughs> well i will and of course the <laughs> freddy who the, she mentioned is the main killer of the franchise has gone through yes. a number of changes but for a long time was played by robert england who's basically yes. the entirety of the character and he basically was the spawn of the horror villain that you kind of like. <laughs> yeah. Like, that first one, he's a pretty straight-up creepy serial killer. Yes. And the second one, he's the second one. I mean, if you've seen the second movie, you know the second movie. Yeah, which, by the way, I think, I don't have a list in front of me now, but I believe there's, what, six or seven primary movies plus that show thing? Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, something, something, Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Rush Production, Nightmare on 6, the one with Alice Cooper, Nightmare 7, New Nightmare. New Nightmare 7? The TV series, and then the remake. So there's been nine. Nine films. Well, do we also want to count in Freddy vs. Jason? Oh, and there's Freddy vs. Jason. I do think it counts, so. So technically there's ten films, give or take? With him in it, yeah. Okay, and, and one of the... Robert England? Yeah. And from what I can tell, as someone who is also a fan of uh, at least a few movies in that list mentioned, the one of the main appeals of this series, that aspect of he kills you in your dreams, allows for extremely creative filmmaking and horror scenes, since it's literally within dreamscape, so it can be... All sorts of crazy, non-realistic stuff, and that's kind of built into the premise. Yeah, it's very creative, and 
some some of the deaths throughout the entire season are very much cringe cringe worthy, as in like oh god type of cringe. Not oh that's <laughs> the that's puppet terrible. scene from uh, Nightmare Three comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh god, and then the sucker arms. Uh, I remember the recovering drug addict, and he throws open his arms, and it's the puckering mouths on his arm, oh, her arms. Yeah. And the glove of hypodermic needles. Yeah. Oof. yeah. Anyway, oh, there's some real nasty kills. Yeah. So horror movie franchise slash movie franchise, really charismatic main killer who keeps showing up, who is a dream demon, who creative kills Wes Craven behind it gets really meta over time. Yes. So. <laughs> the final one, the one that Slagathor hates, is the one that gets super meta. Yeah. Because Slagathor does not believe in subtext. Ah, uh, so it's New Nightmare is your is your problem, because that's the one that was meta about itself. That's the one that had yep. Wes Craven in it playing Wes Craven. So. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Slagathor's not here for that shit. It's funny, because uh, I know New Nightmare is considered one of the better ones by most people, but your well, pillar. Most people are wrong, so... <laughs> Yeah, the, the first one is, like, kind of a legitimate, straightforward horror movie. It doesn't actually use the dream logic thing very much, other than, oh, he's chasing me through dark alleys and a boiler room. But the third one is when all the dream stuff comes into... Well, the third yeah. one, they had a budget. And they're like, oh, shit, this makes money. Let's give him money to do <clears throat> cool stuff. And then they did a reboot in, like, sometime in the early 2010s. Where they cast Jackie Earl Haley. 2010? It's All either right. 2010 or 2011. No, it's 2010 because we were in college. Yeah, point is they cast Jackie Earl Haley, which was a great decision, and he was let down by a terrible script. <laughs> it's such a boring movie. It yeah. is so dull. But, anyway, this brings us to, now that we've done a kind of light overview of what this thing is. Oh, and of course... Freddy vs. Jason was a crossover with Jason from Friday the 13th. If anyone doesn't know what that is, then different show. So, <laughs> this brings us to the first question. Tell us how you got into this thing. Many times on Geeks Who Haunt and stuff. But I was um, maybe third or fourth grade, and I had stayed over at my friend's house, and she was like, I got this scary movie. My dad will let us watch it. And... The first time I watched it, I was only able, we only got through the first death before I was picked up and had to go home <laughs> and it freaked me out. And I had told my, you know, I told my dad about it because that night, you know, we had storms and stuff. So of course I was freaked the fuck out and, you know, outside your, where I was living at the time is literally the middle of nowhere. Like my closest neighbors were over a mile away in each direction and we lived on this kind of like it used to be a farm type of situation but it wasn't anymore and there's a whole bunch of old building yeah whatever so everything about it was creepy and my dad said you know yes that's a very scary movie you know don't finish it don't watch it again you know you'll just give yourself more nightmares blah 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 well that weekend i had gone back to her house and we were like yes let's watch it again and we did and i was terrified again so badly because again that weekend we had a storm and the trees were blowing really hard and scratching up against my window and it was real early in the middle of the night i believe and just like the shadows and everything coming in through my window it very much looked like you know freddie was out there with his little you know knife fingers and stuff waiting for me and i was just terrified but i kept watching it so you know i don't know and I mean, for people who've never seen that first nightmare, that first kill opens hard and terrible. That's it the... involves a woman being drugged up a wall yeah. and sliced. Yep. Everything. like In vivid, gory, oh crap detail. Yeah. I don't know. That's kind of why I consider the first one, the first movie, like in the league of its own. Because once you start, like the second one is kind of a bit like the first, but it's... The, that's when it kind of starts getting a little bit sideways. Well, there's the some that jokes the, in there. And it starts, yeah, it starts going sideways and stuff and following that path all the way through all those other movies and everything. Like, to me, the first one is the true, actual horror of the franchise. Everything yeah. else, like, it has gross 
visuals and stuff like that. It still creeps you out and still, I'm sure, scares people out there and stuff out. But, you know. That person, there's no tension break for humor. Well, the, no. the rest it of them are more really like. Freddy is terrifying. Yeah, the rest of them are more like black comedies. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they ever get black comedy till the second to last one. Oh no, Dream Warriors gets pretty Freddy black comedy. A... Well, they kind of get some like some weird concepts some... Yeah. that kind of that really break the believability sort of of what I'm watching because especially with the Dream Warriors and everything else and you know and then you know she has powers and all sorts of well, it's like it's just, it's uh, most body horror film. Well, also is that the one with the Freddy skeleton fight at the end? Maybe. That? Yeah, where they go to they have to yeah, dig up yeah, Freddy's yeah. remains and then he like possesses yeah. the third one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we so get an old like is... Jason and the Argonaut style skeleton claymation kind of Freddy. It's. <laughs> Yeah, and isn't that the one with the dogs with the with the human heads? No, that's the third, fourth one. Fourth one, yeah. Because it opens with a dog pissing on Freddy's grave, desanctifying it. Oh, oh and the dog pisses fire. Huh. Yeah. No, that fourth one was the rushed production, not very good one. Yeah. And okay. somehow the one after that's even worse. Uh, also, sidebar, but if you're not into horror movies, but you want to know what we're talking about... The YouTube channel Dead Meat has great coverage videos of every nightmare movie. There's also an incredible documentary called Never Sleep Again mm. that chronicles the entire journey of this from beginning to end. Some really interesting interviews. That reminds me, one of the motifs throughout the whole movie is a nursery rhyme that is, you know, the counting nursery rhyme, but it's been corrupted One, to be about. Freddy's coming for you. Three, four, better lock your door. Five, six, grab a crucifix. Seven, eight, stay up late. Nine, ten. Never sleep again. Yep, never sleep again. And yeah. you just get so many people horrible flashbacks. I I had my eyes closed when I was when I was doing that, and I could see the little girls and their jump yeah, rope no, and stuff. Genuinely creepy imagery. Yeah, I first saw Nightmare when I was probably about six, I think, and I did have nightmares about it for about a couple months afterwards. I finally, quote-unquote, beat my own personal Freddy by, and I always remember this, I he showed up in my dream and I turned myself into a blob, and then he just... Uh the stabbing didn't matter anymore because I was a blob. <laughs> so, I like that. <laughs> and I never had a nightmare about him again because <laughs> it was just goofy. So that is the power of Freddy, is it's a nightmare, which is already inherently scary, but now the nightmare can kill you. Yep. It's also the same weekend I saw Chucky, so, um, yeah, bad Ooh, time. Yeah. <laughs> so quick aside about Chucky. Oh, jeez. A local brewery has partnered with Brad Dorf and the Chucky TV series to do commercials. Huh. Like, over the store. So I'll be working, doing my thing, and then I hear Chucky's laugh. Oh, yeah. And the first time I heard it, I thought I imagined it. The second time I heard it, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> because that, that is not cool. <laughs> Sitting there doing my thing, I hear Chucky's laugh and go, oh, fuck, no, it's happening. <laughs> but fuck off with that shit yeah my point was just that i had a i had a rough like two months there but it was funny because the, re the the reason i was able to do that blob thing with freddie is because even at a young age i had an obsession with logic and i realized wait if i see him i must be dreaming he can only appear as a dream thus i know i'm dreaming thus i have control of what's happening <laughs> so logical are you really in your dreams when you are Scared shitless. Uh, I mean, basically, he unlocked lucid dreaming. No, I know. But yeah. even then, that's not easy. Again, it was only because of the exact nature of Freddy's powers that I was able to do that. So. Yeah. Anyway. I've often thought about that because I think, like, if I were going to write a Freddy story, I'd have a character do that. Now, how would I have Freddy kill them? Because you've created an interesting opening paradox for that first kill. Like, haha, I've outsmarted you. And what would Freddy do? eat you well we see that actually happen in several of the movies where i mean that's yeah. kind of the whole point of dream warriors is that they know they have powers in their dream but then freddy corrupts their powers so 
Yeah, no, the scene where he puts the Q-tip through the kid's ear. That brings us to our next question, which is, why do you love this franchise? Why do you love this thing? It's a loaded question. Well. Why do you like the movie about the killer dream pedophile? Okay, quick, hold on, quick side note. Quotation marks. Okay. Yeah. Around the pedophile. Quick side note. The, That's only the, implied. The most recent film made it a lot more explicit that Freddy is a pedophile. The old franchise was more like maybe he's a pedophile. He's definitely a serial killer, but there's never anything the explicit. Serial killer. He's with a little weird. With quotation marks around pedophile. Yeah. Continue. <laughs> oh, I love it because it was my. The first time I've ever been scared shitless, and the fact that I kept going back and watching it, even though it was scaring me so bad and stuff, I, I don't know. I think after like the third or fourth time I watched it, it, I mean, it wasn't so bad, but there's just something about like the visuals about it, the story, just. I, and I had never really been scared like that before in my life, so it was almost like a titillating sort of feeling, I guess. I don't know. I just know that I'm absolutely head over for it. I mean, I don't really have a real answer for it. I just like it. Well, that's fine, but how about this? How about this? Let's break it down a bit. Tell us what you like about each movie that you do like and what you don't like about the one or more you don't like. Just as a quick kind of go through. Okay. So, specifically, number one, I absolutely love the uh, the first kill. And I like when he's walking down the alley, scratching the walls, coming after Nancy. Nancy, yeah. Oh, and for anyone who doesn't know this bit of trivia, the original Nightmare also involves Johnny Depp getting sucked into a bed and a blood fountain coming out. <laughs> yep. That set actually rotated 360 degrees. And then the blood destroyed the mechanisms that allowed them to turn it. So they only got one shot. Yep. It's a good shot, though. And then I like all the movies. I don't really have, like, specifics for all the movies. Like, I like each one because each one has some sort of different grotesque sort of visual. And I really enjoy that about these movies. Except for the last goddamn one. I hate it so bad. I don't... (sighs) I don't want to get into it because it'll be an episode of itself, I'm sure. Okay, well, quickly, to just to tell everyone what she's talking about, the last one of the quote-unquote original continuity was called New Nightmare, and the premise of New Nightmare was that in quote-unquote our world, where the actors took part in playing the characters in Nightmare on Elm Street, the actress who played... You know, Nancy is, like, living her life in Hollywood. Wes Craven's living his life in Hollywood. And then Freddy kind of comes to reality and, like, starts attacking her dreams. And then she goes to talk to Wes Craven, who's been writing a story about that. So it's, like, the story that he's writing is reality. And a big part of that movie is they actually kind of took it back to basics. And Freddy's not funny in that one again. He's supposed to be, like, legit terrifying. They kind of change his design a bit to make him more or less clowny. even play around with the idea that Freddy has become the hero of the franchise. Yeah. Wes Craven was always very mixed on the idea. But the like, point is, it was... Robert England got to be famous, but he's like, no, I made this guy to be terrifying and kids are dressing him as Halloween. Yeah, and New Nightmare came out uh, what, a couple of years before Scream? I think? And it was basically yeah, the... like It's the proto-Scream. Yeah, it was the proto-text for Scream, where Scream was all about the meta of horror movies and slasher movies in general, New Nightmare was like a meta of Nightmare on Elm Street specifically, and so Wes Craven was kind of playing around with these ideas that he would then turn into Scream. So, anyway. I've never actually seen New Nightmare, so I can't comment on it. I just happen to know about it. <laughs> it's, it's not bad. I enjoy it because I don't think either of you have heard of the Beautiful Dream fan theory. No. I'm sure you've told me. So there is a fan theory, which if you watch 1, 3, and New Nightmare, the only movies directed by Wes Craven, mm-hmm. at the end of 3, which, spoiler for 3, Nancy dies, mm-hmm. and one of the girls whose ability is to create and control dreams says, don't worry, I'll give you a beautiful dream. And the theory is 
the beautiful dream she gave her was that everything that happened was just a movie and that's where new nightmare comes in and that's where freddie comes in is he is breaking into her dream because he wants to kill nancy because she escaped see i mean that's cool that makes sense i can see that but they had to ruin it <laughs> do you want to talk about nightmare 2 real quick no i don't really remember well, this is the version of new of Nightmare Two: Freddy's Revenge that Slagator sees. Oh, Nightmare Two oh, is about Lord. two young men that are very good friends. Oh yeah, and nothing else. The most homoerotic and then Freddy nightmare shows movie. Up <laughs> and kills people. It's just a coincidence that the gym teacher goes to a leather bar and has his ass beat in a in a gym. <sighs> with towels while being strapped down by the killer who is in fact our main character who is very good friends and nothing else with his other friend okay i'm sorry i will admit that when i was watching that movie i thought it was a little weird all this weird sexual stuff okay but you also know me i don't just see subtext i don't go searching for stupid goddamn reaching poles out there and then people come up to me like oh it's all about the gay people not bitch it's not because you're just seeing something you want to see like and then you know everybody's like well they've said it is well that's nice and everything okay (laughs) but i'm not gonna be i'm not sit there in far reach just because all y'all want something to look at i want you to sit down and watch it with this in mind I have. No, you haven't. Yeah, because I was about to say, can... Freddy's Revenge is very homoerotic. <laughs> like, the set designer was a gay man, and there's fun little Easter eggs, like Probe, the board game in the stack of other board games that are nothing but innuendo. I would say, though, that this falls into a category that I, I've talked with some people about where whether it was intentional or not doesn't really matter. What matters is it's there. And a lot of people see that it's there, and they think it's obvious. So it's like, it's it's yeah. interpreted. So well, the funny thing is, you don't have any problem with it being gay. No, you have a problem with it being subtext. You want Freddy to fuck people <laughs> and look at you and go, "This is about gay stuff," and you go, "Oh, okay, good for you, Freddy." Yes, good to know you're a top. Yeah. <laughs> but like, okay, so I mean, you come off. What, you know, from the first one and then jumping into the second one and stuff, it's really hard for me to go, oh, yeah, no, this is what my beloved series is about now, you know? It's a weird outlier. So there's, there's like a gif you can find online of this filmmaker who's a, I don't remember which filmmaker it is. I think he's known for making so bad it's good movies. But he says something like, yeah. I've known filmmakers who use subtext and they're all cowards. <laughs> exactly. I appreciate that. And I'm sorry, that movie is thinly veiled subtext only to get released because <laughs> if they said what they wanted to say, this movie would never be released. I feel like, Laura, you, you gotta show Slagathor, you gotta show Slagathor some Neil Breen films so that she can see what happens when someone has absolutely zero subtext. <laughs> so. I, I was gonna say, like, you've seen Species. I like Species. Okay, that's the level of subtext we're working with here. Yeah, well, let me put it this way. Neil Breen's third movie it starts off with him literally showing up, because he's the writer, director, and star, and he shows up in a white robe in the middle of a desert with his arms out and wounds on his wrists and feet, but he's got a motherboard sticking out of his chest and on his on his wrists. I don't understand. <laughs> I, I honestly don't understand. You say that before the motherboard, I'm like, okay, so some weird Jesus stuff, but then you put the motherboard on it, and it's like, yeah, he's science Jesus. Yeah, yeah, he's just tech Jesus. That's it. Okay, all right. And then he spends a day in Las Vegas and discerns and decides to kill all of humanity. That's the movie. <laughs> okay. Yeah. See, that went too far around. It was like this is too obvious subtext. So there's got to be something else going on here. <laughs> nope. It's, Not it's at all. Too blatant on the face. Yeah. Nope. Neil Breen doesn't use subtext <laughs> at all. <laughs> Maybe that's the Freddy's two thing. It's too obvious. Like, no, no, I know this is gay, <laughs> but what else is going on here? <laughs> it, it's too obvious. 
He is obviously in a leather bar. Okay, I get that, but what does it really mean? One more, one more. In Neil Breen's first movie, which is called, like, uh, Double Down, I think, if you watch it, every time he claims his character, every time his character claims that he is the best at something, take a shot. Just saying. <laughs> it's that kind of movie. All right. I feel like my liver's not going to survive. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the topic at hand with, with Nightmare. There was the most recent movie in the whole thing was the the Jackie Earl Haley one, which, as um, or pointed out, was really dull. It had some interesting ideas. There was this concept they brought in of micro naps, the idea of like falling asleep for a fraction of a moment at a time, and they made the pedophile thing way more obvious. But they played around with the idea of maybe that he wasn't a pedophile and the kids lied about it, but then they backed out at the end because they're cowards. So that would have been such a more interesting idea that Freddy came back. Because he was an innocent soul that was killed wrongfully, and that any number of interesting ideas that you know the rage transformed. Oh, into this and we skipped over. Or... Yeah, we skipped over this idea for anyone who doesn't know. But the reason why Freddy is like this in the first place, uh, at least the way he is, is because he was killing kids, and then the 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 townspeople knew it was him, but no one could prove it. So the townspeople came together, chased him to his lair, which was a boiler room. And then they set it on fire with him inside it. So he's always burnt. And throughout the main series of movies, he's his burning flesh looks kind of like, like uncooked beef is kind of what he looks like. And I mean, it looks like gnarly burn victims. I guess, but that was another thing I actually liked about the new, the, the Jackie Earl Haley one is they had his skin look more like what an actual, like, burn victims yeah. kind of look like where it's like ashy and but it didn't have the demon worms oh oh god the demon worms that's nightmare five right anything else about... no that's the final one that's like six or seven like i thought they got introduced in five though but yeah no 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 there's a whole thing like the last nightmare final nightmare freddy's dead they go to a school and this teacher is giving a lesson about demon worms to an empty classroom it's 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 the most over the top like this has alice cooper as freddy's abusive dad <laughs> and that's where it all started all right it's good in a bad way like it is the most cheesy dumb over the top boiling down of everything nightmare has become at this point so slagathor as yeah. a purveyor of horror movies, I mean, yeah. you have your own little horror podcast. What yes. what makes Nightmare unique, interesting, and worthwhile in comparison to other films in the genre? I honestly believe that... Well, I mean, this is kind of where my views on horror as a whole kind of come from, because I was influenced so heavily from Nightmare and it being my first horror movie and stuff the the imagery the suspense that it has you know not to say that horror movies these days don't have that but there's just something so unique and special about the first one that even now if i was to go watch it i would still get goosebumps watching it you know like and i don't get i don't get scared i don't get tense i don't you know react to horror movies these days at all like the most i will get is you know a jump scare but other than that i don't feel like the visceral reaction that i did and still do watching the first one so what? actually effective at eliciting like an addict chasing a high oh yes well, i mean there's kind of a truth it's never to that. as good as the first hit you're 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 trying uh, movies horror movies are trying to elicit the fight or flight response to kick adrenaline off in your body it i i can understand that and basically you're saying that this movie does accomplish that basic fundamental idea of what a horror movie is meant to accomplish so i guarantee i mean anybody can go back and watch it and they would still probably have that exact same you know first reaction to it if not you know still some sort of something to it 
but I don't know. At the same time, a lot of people are very sensitive to horror movies too. So would you? Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, would you say that that's kind of why it's a pillar for you? Because it elicits this response that you want from other horror movies and that you're almost using that feeling as the basis for, all right, how close to that feeling does this horror movie make me feel? And that's almost like your your gauge. Is that like why it's a pillar for you? Yeah, but unfortunately, like any horror movie I had watched after nightmare had has never given me the same reaction i've enjoyed tons and a lot of them have kind of given me you know the tense anxious feeling in my chest you know when the suspense is there and stuff but nothing's really given me that same response yeah you know kind of like the high it i don't know Hmm. so we've come to the question that you or you kind of hinted at earlier I don't have an answer for this, but after talking about this for about 35 minutes or so, unedited, what do you think this says about you, that this being your pillar, one of your pillars, what do you think that says about you? I don't know, because I've been trying to think about that, like, because I can't really say, I don't know, somebody that just really enjoys horror movies, somebody that really, you know, likes the, likes the bloody, gory violence of people being eviscerated and stuff, like, Mm -hmm. Woo! That makes me sound weird. I mean, not not to not to try to like. <laughs> I know. Not to try to like throw you a metaphorical bone or anything, but I, I I feel like when it comes to nightmare, one of the things that makes it not unique, but that makes it stand out as something like a pillar is that I for myself am not into movies like you know like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something like that because. They're kind of, I mean, they're really scary, but they're more grounded. And there are some horror movies that are more grounded that I'm into. There's one I will talk about in our suggestions of the week. But Nightmare is, to me, a great example of elevated concept. It's almost uh, horror as sci-fi. It's this idea of, like, a dream demon. And what does that mean? And how do we explore that through story and through film? And that leads directly to other like kind of high concept horror movies that uh exist things like you know even the conjuring which is pretty much a straight up you know ghost uh house movie but that it starts going in weird directions with like you know the doll and and the nun and stuff like that all feel like the same kind of basis in high concept horror where we're playing with something that's like really weird or out there you know antlers touched on it underwater basically touched on it by being an, a, a loose adaptation of the mountains of madness uh, like all these things can in some ways i feel trace back to to nightmares before nightmare the big horror movies like i love halloween halloween's one of my favorite movies ever but that's still just a guy with a kitchen knife you know yeah like do you think yeah, i'm touching on anything important here <laughs> no i mean it's interesting it makes sense i kind of agree with that <laughs> i really on it I kind of suck, guys. I'm sorry. I don't have a strong opinion about it. I I will say, as someone who knows you and knows your taste in movies, Nightmare is that perfect Venn diagram of everything you love in horror in that it has a good villain. Oh, yes. It explains what the villain is, why the villain is, what the villain can do. Yes, I do hate... There's no ambiguity. I, I do hate not being told. It's got a body count to keep you entertained. And it's not grounded. It is it's it's semi grounded, but it's not getting lost in weird esoteric shit. It's like, this is a guy who kills you in your dreams. Okay, he's a guy that kills you, but in your dreams. Yeah. This is your pinnacle horror movies. Like I can kind of tell when I suggest something to you how you're gonna like it. Because one thing you hate more than anything is that when it gets to the end and the monster is never explained. Yeah. You hate that? I do. You want to know, no, 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 no. What the fuck was that? Why did it do any of that? You get the fuck back here and explain. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny because I... None of this, it's open to interpretation. Or it's really about, no, 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 no. I demand fucking answers. <laughs> that's that's funny to me because, you know, you're totally allowed to have that. I feel like my experience is more the opposite. I don't like 
to have horror things over explained and i like i actually prefer if there's left a lot of ambiguity because horror a lot of to me what is terrifying is the unknown and when i think of something like because you probably hated it follows right Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah. I based on everything he just said, I was like, yeah, you probably hate it. Falls. It falls was one of the most beloved horror movies of the last decade, and of course you hate it for exactly those reasons. And and that makes sense to me based on that description. Long-standing argument in our relationship. Yes. Is that we saw it in theaters, and I walked out going, "That was incredible," and I turned to Slagathor, and she just had this angry look on her face going. <laughs> What the fuck was that? <laughs> Why did I waste two hours of my day watching that shit? What the fuck was any of that? Fuck you. Fuck that movie. Fuck that director. I fucking hate it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But that's literally part of what's going on in It Follows that makes sense to me in this context is that you never find out what the, the entity is. It's just, you know, a metaphor for STDs, essentially, as a horror movie monster. And everything you just said indicates, well, that's exactly what Sagathora does not want in her horror movie monster. So. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> no. She hates that movie so much. I guess it means you'd be you lean know, more like... A copy of that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you'd lean more towards something like Hellraiser, where there's a very specific explanation for the <laughs> of oh, those metaphors. Yes. Oh, yes. And again, body the, count, gore, the, clear to find villain. The new, the new trailer. Oh, I had excited, like, almost horny goosebumps going on, man. Oh, I'm so excited for it. I know uh, Chris Stuckman, he just released his review of, of the new movie because he saw it at some, like, uh, like he didn't know that's what he was seeing kind of event. Uh, yeah. And and he said that the... meaning at Beyond Fest. Yeah, and he said that the, the lady playing the Hell Priest kills it, and he said that, like, the, the score is good and the... The gore was good. He had some problems with it, but yeah, he said it was generally pretty good, so. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, that just makes me excited. No, the reviews for that have been incredible. And also the internet's obsession with the new Cenobite I'm going. I'm sorry, but sh- they're nice. No, that was definitely a lot of people made the jokes, myself included, going, this better not awaken anything in me. <laughs> well, one thing I didn't notice until Stuckman pointed out, but if you pause in the trailers, you can see this. The Cenobites have ditched the leather. Instead of wearing yes. leather, they're now wearing what kind of looks like they've just molded their skin into clothing. I know, and oh, I that's love even that. worse. I love that it because it just just the visuals that they have going on is just in the trailer. Just yeah, mm, yeah. I've heard that Clive Barker worked very closely on this one, meaning it's even hornier than the original somehow. <laughs> Well, it's a funny thing, if you think about it, to relate back to what we're talking about, Hellraiser, the first one, was kind of an answer to the Nightmare series. Because Nightmare got progressively silly, and it kind of spawned a thing in the 90s of silly horror films. And, I mean, even before, like the late 80s, early 90s, and all through, which basically Scream was the the canary in the coal mine for in a lot of ways. But What an iconic villain they could sell the movies on. Yeah, whereas Clive Barker's original Hellraiser was not silly at all, and he didn't want any levity, and it was like a a a rebuttal to essentially a horror movie landscape created by the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels. Not even the first one. The first one was more in line with, as as Sagathar put it, more like straight horror. But the the franchise got silly over time, and the whole realm got silly over time. So. It took three movies for Hellraiser to fly off the rails. Anyway, so since we've now spent like seven minutes talking about other movies, I feel like we're kind of naturally at a somewhat wrap. So, Sagathar, do you have any final things you want to talk about when it comes to your your pillar? Any concluding thoughts? I don't know. If you're one of those strange people out there that hasn't seen it, at least the first one, definitely go watch the first one and even if you're not a fan of horror movies i still feel like it's one of those movies that you kind of have to watch almost um and if you don't i'll find you and i'll force you to watch it so (laughs) honestly i would say if you're kind of hesitant to get into it go the third one first 
I still think you should watch the first one and then still, the third one. But I agree. But I'm saying if you're kind of hesitant or you only know Freddy's a joke, ease into the third one because that's the most down-the-line, scary, comedy Welcome to primetime, bitch. <laughs> yes. And then you can reverse that back to one and see where it started and then you can watch them all in order to watch the weird strange journey that those movies go on here can i say this maybe all good uh and slagathor you can tell me how off base you think i am maybe something that based on what you were focusing on there maybe something that this pillar says about you is that you're a person who who values you know visceral experience and fantastical ideas and thoughts but you also highly value understanding like you want those experiences and those fantastic things to be grounded in things you you know or that you understand you don't want to be left confused or questions so you want to so it's like very important to you that things in general are describable are you know complaceable are i know what this was and this is why i felt this way is that fair to say about you outside of even just the horror movie genre? In general, yeah. But, you know, I do want to say I don't mind movies that have, you know, something that makes you think about it. But when, I guess my problem is when I'm sitting there and I'm watching it, if I can sit there and watch and not think about whether or not this movie has a subtext and stuff and I just enjoy the movie... That's what I absolutely like is I want to be able to just to sit there and enjoy the movie, not to hear from like Ulrich or, you know, some people on the internet going, oh, you know, that movie's really about blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it was all there in the subtext and stuff. Like, I feel that's why I get so mad at everybody that, you know, talks about subtext and in movies and stuff, because I feel like you're just reaching so much. Just enjoy the fucking movie. And I know some people out there enjoy subtext and that's what they like about the movies but still it i don't you're there for the story if there's not a good compelling story you don't care how much other great stuff there is in the background no and you and i agree i mean there is a fine line between okay everything means something else but we've got a good story and the story only works if you understand all the symbolism i have going on over here well i want to sit there and watch a mediocre movie but only truly understand and enjoy the movie and think it's a grade a thing if i understand the subtext if i get the subtext i I feel like for me the the good examples are when i watch a movie i think it's good and then afterwards someone teaches me about the subtext and suddenly i go from thinking that movie is good to thinking that movie is great like if a movie is bad then finding out that it's trying to be about something is like, oh, that might be admirable, but it's still a bad movie. So I, I can kind of get what you're saying, but... And I have no problem either, I guess, I don't know, it's kind of 50-ish, 50 weird type of thing, because sometimes I don't care if there's subtext, because and people explain to me that there's subtext, but when they just sit there and they push and push and push and push, like, oh, you know, it's just, again, with the whole you know, it's not good unless you just absolutely are all about the subtext type of thing, I guess. Uh, yeah. Like the Scream series. Yeah. Which has a lot of meta commentary and subtext. But at the end of the day, solid slash movie. You well, for me, play. for me, the go-to example of all this is The Matrix. The Matrix is a movie that, uh, that I think is, I used to think was just okay. And, and a lot of people loved and then I found out about the trans narrative going on in it. And while I still am not a huge fan of The Matrix, it made me respect the movie a lot more. And so now I went from thinking the movie was just okay to thinking the movie is, like, really something else, something unique. It was, like, it was it's already a functional, really good action sci-fi movie, and then it's elevated by the additional layer of here's the subtext going on with it. So, Yeah, but with those kind of movies, especially by the third one and stuff, you almost need to know subtext and what's hidden in the background to even understand what's what going talking? on. There's no uh, third one. She's talking about, one. I think she's talking about Very Night. Good. They never made any other one. Yeah, but that's, that's why I think it makes sense that you wouldn't like New Nightmare because New Nightmare isn't 
a good movie elevated by subtext. It's a movie that's entirely about its meta text. So, and that makes sense why you wouldn't be into that. So, yeah. Yeah. I would think a great example of this is the Babadook. Oh, yeah, the Babadook is okay, and it's got this big subtext about depression that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I thought it was okay. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. I think everyone here is kind of like, oh, that was good. Like, I get what you're going for. I don't think it all comes together. Literally, the only thing I liked about the Babadook was the Babadook. That's an incredible monster. And he's creepy. And again, I get what they were going for. Anyway, the three of us can go off the rails very easily. So (laughs) why don't we move on to suggestions of the week? And I'll just kick us off. My suggestion of the week is a movie I saw last Sunday called Barbarian. That is kind of starting to get word of mouth on the internet, but is also... Huge word of mouth. This is like the big horror movie everyone's talking about. Is that about... Is that the one with the one dude from iZombie? And... No. So here's that. here's the thing about Barbarian. First of all, every critic I've heard talk about it has agreed you should go into this knowing as little as possible. So it's one of those kind of okay. movies. And normally that bothers me. But I heard enough critics that I respect say interesting things about Barbarian that I went and saw it. And here is, first of all, here's the basic premise without me giving anything away. A woman goes to Detroit for a job interview. She has booked a B&B in a pretty bad neighborhood, and when she gets there, someone else is already in the house, played by Bill Skarsgård, who also booked that B&B, but he did it through some other company, whatever. But because of certain circumstances, she has no choice but to stay the night in the house with this other person. And then things start kind of going off the rails, because there's something going on in the house that I can't spoil, but I will say this much, because I well, I won't be very clear. The reason I'm suggesting this is because I was fucking terrified. I was literally curled up, like, trying to cover part of the screen with my hand, and Woonvog, who went with me at one point, about an hour and ten minutes in, he leaned over and went, dude, do you need to leave? So, like, I was, I was far gone. Because at one point, she, I'm not going to say how, she f- is in the basement, and she finds a rope in the wall, and when she pulls it, it opens up a secret door in the wall, and there's just this hallway of black, and you can't see, like, in it at all. And, oh, I don't know how to really talk about more of it without giving things away. I'm not going to give things away, because the movie fucking horrified me. Like, it was... That's all you have to say. I'm already <laughs> interested. Yeah, no, this is, like, horror fans are obsessed with this. It so kicked it off the weirdest market marketing. Yeah. I mean, it kicked off my yeah, fight or flight response more than anything I've been at the theater in the last like ten years. I was, it was bad. <laughs> oh, very intrigued. Then. Yeah, no, I wanted to see it because everyone I follow is like, "Oh, you got to see this." I'm like, "Cool, what the fuck's it about?" Yeah, I can't tell you. I, I will say that it I know, is. I hate that. Yeah, I know. I, I will say that it is grounded. As in, part of the horror is that everything that happens could actually happen to you. Except uh, for getting a job interview in Detroit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But a lot of the horror for me wasn't, like... Because there are a couple jump scares, but that's not what the horror is. The horror is mostly, like, people going into really dark, obviously fucked up areas and just just the tension. It's a tension movie. So... Anyway, that's my suggestion. It's Barbarian. You should see it while it's in theaters, because if you like horror movies... I don't know if I'm the best gauge, because I don't normally go see horror movies, but, like, I, I have thalassophobia. I saw Underwater in theaters, and I loved it, but it didn't scare me. This actually scared me. <laughs> so. My suggestion of the week is the Plague Wars trilogy by Guy Haley. Uh, this is a 40K series, so if you want to skip ahead, because it's not your thing, go ahead. I have loved this series since I picked the first book. And it ends incredibly. So real quick, the pitch of this is what was Gilliman up to during the short time after his resurrection? The first book is about him dealing with Mortarian invading Ultramar and kicking off the Plague Wars. 
By the way, if, if you're listening to this and this is all Greek to you, then this is not uh, the book for you to yep. start the 40k journey on. So just just <laughs> tune out for now. <laughs> well, this, this is for people. The second one is about him fighting on a planet and trying to track down Mortarian and kind of beginning to question the ideas of faith and whether the Emperor is a god and where that puts him. And then the third one is him facing off against Mortarian and then ends with some huge universe-upsetting revelations that I can't believe Black Library let get printed. Jeez. Like, this isn't the typical Black Library, the book ends, and it's just kind of like, well, that doesn't have any long-term ramifications. This series ends with an, oh, fuck, they really did that. What comes next? Where is this going? And as well as getting like really cool insight into Gilliman, which is fun as a primark, you also get to follow a newly created Primaris Marine from the 31st millennia. Oh. And him kind of coming to terms with what the hell happened to the Imperium? What, what's what's going on here? And then you get a third character of a preacher who is at the center of this whole series is kind of about exploring the nature of faith in Warhammer and really leaning into a definitive answer of what that is. Cool. Like I said, really great series. I want a follow-up series just because of how that third book ends. I need answers. Maybe we should read it in book club then. <laughs> That'll be a fun book club. You're going to get to that third one and go, holy shit. Anyway, Slagathor, do you have a suggestion for us? I do. Well, it's not really... Hmm, it's kind of like a reminder. So I recently bought, rebought one of my all-time favorite games from when I was younger, I guess. I would. I don't want to say a kid, but I got it on GOG, G-O-G, and it's Neverwinter Nights 2, and I got the complete bundle. And I'm not telling people to go out there and buy the game and play it, even though I feel like you should play it. But if you love playing computer games, I want to remind you guys to go back to some of the really early games that you played when you were younger and stuff that kind of got you into playing um, computer games, whether it be like, you know, the Diablo series or whatever. Like, I I don't know. I just want to remind you guys to go out there and play games that you loved way back when because I... I'm having a blast replaying this game, and I don't know. I want you guys to to do that too. So heroes of might magic. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right, Slagathor. <laughs> if people have enjoyed listening to you and want to listen to more, why don't you tell them real quick about your podcast and where you can find the latest season? So, I. I do Geeksu Haunts, and generally it's about anything and everything horror-related, kind of spoofy. Um, you know, the first couple seasons and stuff, um, I had some guests on, and we talked not just about movies, but, you know, what got them into horror themselves and nightmares, stuff like that. And recently I know I've been doing and talking about a lot of really old, older type of horror movies and stuff with a little bit of the newer stuff mixed in, and I have, a, you know, a bunch of different guests and everything. Um, but I try and diverse it up as much as I can, as much as I can think to do <laughs> anyway. Un- I don't know if it's unfortunate, but fortunate, but unfortunate for those of you out there that aren't part of our Patreon, but fortunate for our patrons because my newest season, I've decided to kind of do this whole thing just for the patrons. So all of my episodes will only be available to the patrons because I wanted I don't know, kind of say thank you for everything and kind of being there for us, so. Well, conversely, thank you for coming on and chatting with us, Sagathor, and sharing this pillar. Yes, of course. I know I can be boring at some sometimes, but you know. Now, I always love getting to talk to you. Or get, to, <laughs> or get to talk to you daily. I only get to talk to you when we do something special like this, so. I know, I know. All right, Ulrich, I think you can take us into the outro. <laughs> All right, well, thank you for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe. Do all the things that the algorithm demands of you. Or much like Freddy, we will be forgotten and disappear forever. 
And you can find us on a bunch of the podcasting sites. Ulrich used to provide me a list with them, but he seems to not want to do that anymore. So if just look for We've us. We've been going for over 100 episodes. I'm changing it up. Yeah, so just look for us on whatever podcasting site you want or on the firesidealliance.com, which is where we're partnering with a bunch of other really cool people. But if you look for us on your podcast site and we're not there, hey, tell us about that. And then maybe we'll go, if it's possible, because there are some kind of financial considerations and whatnot, but if it's possible, we'll get on there too. And if you're specifically listening to us on Spotify, then you can give us some stars I mean, if you give us five stars, then it helps the algorithm. I know the whole concept of the difference between five stars and four stars is actually basically the difference between success and failure, because fuck Uber, but that's just how the world works, man. <laughs> yeah, it's a horrible, horrible system. Anyways, as always, this has been Lord Turn to Arc. In his shield, brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable. <laughs>